Welcome to the Changelog episode 0.4.3. I'm Adam Stokowiak. And I'm Wynn Netherland. This is the Changelog. We cover what's fresh and new in the world of open source. If you found us on iTunes, we're also on the web at thechangelog.com. We're also up on GitHub. Head to github.com slash explore. You'll find some trend repos, some feature repos from our blog, as well as the audio podcast. And if you're on Twitter, follow Changelog Show. And me, Adam Stack. And I'm Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-I-N-N. Fun episode this week. Got a new contributor on board. Yeah, Steve. Welcome aboard. Welcome, Steve Klabnik, uh, the, I guess, maintainer now of Haggerty Hack from Why. We talked about Haggerty Hack in this episode. A lot of fun stuff with this project, too. I, I love seeing what it's going to do for you know programming in general, but specifically uh, that bigger application shoes and then you know Haggerty Hack itself and being a Ruby app. Yeah, definitely a fun way to learn programming and, and Ruby to boot. So we also have some jobs remote, too. We got uh, some fun GitHub jobs if you're looking for uh, posting a job, head to thechangelaw.com slash jobs to use our affiliate link and post a job to GitHub, and we appreciate it. But, uh, Wynn, why don't you take the first one? First up this week is a Ruby engineer slash data wrangler over at PostRank. I guess a data wrangler means you have to be in Texas for this gig. Need to be fluent in Ruby, Rails, Event Machine, RabbitMQ, the usual suspects when uh, if you're working on an Ilya project. We know that uh, Ilya Grigoric works over at uh, PostRank. This should be a fun gig for anybody that wants to sling the Ruby. And if you want to change the world, Causes.com is looking for the most world-changing Ruby Rails developer in history. Seriously. Go to Causes.com to check out uh, more details about that company. But they're approaching 25 million active users on a series of Rails applications that's uh, backed by MySQL and Memcached, Redis, and a few other fun things. But uh, plenty of things to do there, scaling, product challenges. So if, if that's your world, check them out and uh, check out the show notes for details. If your LinkedIn profile mentions Rockstar or Ninja, you need not apply at Centro. They're looking for talented developers of JavaScript, CoffeeScript, Sprout Core, jQuery, Ruby, Sinatra, Rails, and MongoDB. That's quite the stack. Wow. I understand they use all those over there. That's, that's pretty intense. Hackity hack. Don't talk back. <laughs> Joined today by Steve Klabnik, newest contributor to the Changelog. Steve, why don't you introduce yourself and what you do? Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Steve. Uh, thanks for having me on, you guys. Uh, it's been a lot of fun contributing to the Changelog so far, and it's good to, to get a show on the podcast. Um, basically, I am I like to refer to myself as a software craftsman. So I've been programming since I was about seven years old, and by now, I would I'm much more interested in how to make good software and the things around it than the actual code itself. So I've been focusing a lot on best practices and refactoring and all sorts of things like that, which is one of the reasons why I really love Ruby and why I now you know, call myself a Rubyist for the last couple of years is because the Ruby community is into all those kind of things. So uh, my main open source project is Hackity Hack, which I inherited from Y, which we'll talk more about in a little bit, I guess. And uh, I do various startup-related uh, related things. So that's sort of what, uh, what I'm into, I guess. Startups, Ruby software, all that kind of stuff. So let's jump into it. Hackity Hack. This is a project, I guess, you inherited from Why the Lucky Stiff? Yep. Um, basically, it was whenever Why disappeared and everybody realized that he was gone for good, people started stepping up for his projects because, you know, they were all really awesome. We wanted to keep them going. And uh, I had actually just missed Why. I never met him. Um, he came to Pittsburgh a couple months in March before he disappeared in, in August 
and uh, gave a talk at Art and Code about Hackity Hack. And I didn't realize he was going to be there. I wanted to go to Art and Code, but I heard about it, and I was out of town that weekend. And I said, okay, well, I'll just hit the next Art and Code up. And then when I came back, I realized why I was there, and I was really upset that, it, that I had missed it. Um, but basically, when Y disappeared, nobody stood up to take care of Hackity Hack, and I wasn't really sure that I could do it or not, but I didn't want to let the project die, so, you know. I sort of stepped up, and that uh, led to now a year and a half later. So, For the folks outside the Ruby community that think we may be talking in terms of uh, Albert and Costello yeah. skit here, explain who Y is and why is important, no pun intended. So Why the Lucky Stiff was uh, an artist whose medium was software. Um, basically, he was a, a very well-known figure in the Ruby community who really um, – did the whole the reason that conference was called Art and Code and the reason why I was talking there was because that's what he was about. So he made very creative, uh, interesting projects in software, but they were very much from that that sort of angle uh, rather than from the computer science kind of side of things. Uh, he went by the name Y as a pseudonym because he you know wanted his his privacy actually if you look most of the time his name was written with an underscore in the front which is sort of that convention about you know private variables um so you know he uh he went by that name for all the different various things that he did and uh you know so he was a great guy so what was this art and code what is that Art and Code is something that there's been two or three of now, but um, there's a guy named uh, Golan at Carnegie Mellon University here in Pittsburgh, and he's sort of interested in the same kind of space um, where processing is and a bunch of other those kind of projects that are connecting those two things together. And so um, every so, so every couple months or so, I guess there's been three of them now, he has this event where he invites people to come and talk. Um, usually has five or six of them, and it takes a day or two. Um, at the same one that Y was at, they had the guy who wrote Processing, whose name I'm totally drawing a blank on, and a couple other people. Um, they did a mobile-themed one later where it was all about building inter- interesting mobile applications. It's just kind of a yeah general little conference in Pittsburgh. Is that the same thing as the Open Source Gaming Coding Competition? No, that's actually run by my friends and me, uh, actually. So uh, OSGCC was something where... Um, my friends and I have traditionally, in, in college, we, we all realize that we're giant nerds and we want to program 24-7. So every Saturday, we set aside Saturday to uh, sleep until noon, go get a burrito, and then go to the computer lab and, and code away. And so um, because a lot of people were interested in games, we decided to have an annual game coding competition. And so uh, you know we sort of invited people outside of our friends group to get together and do the same sort of thing. So we have this like 24-hour uh, sit down, start making a game, 24 hours later it gets judged um, thing. And this past year was a really, really super big year for us. We had more contributors than the rest of the previous three years combined, actually, I think. So uh, it was really good. So Hackity Hack is not a singles from the coaster in uh... – the late fifties. It's actually a program to help you learn programming using shoes. What's shoes? Yeah. So, um, shoes actually was born out of Hackity Hack. It's another Y project, but basically, um, why wanted Hackity to be available on all three platforms? Cause you know, everybody deserves, deserves to learn programming. So, um, as he developed it, he decided that, um, basically he should release all of that gooey platform toolkit stuff 
um, as a separate project. And so he pulled shoes out of Hackity and, and released it on its own. And so other people can write apps using the same kind of uh, interface. Shoes is the only GUI toolkit I've ever used that I actually enjoy using. So it seems like every other toolkit is really complicated and, and takes forever to use. And they're all sort of based on when we started writing um, toolkits in C in like the, you know, the 80s or whenever GNOME and KDE date to, I guess, early 90s, late 80s, um, if I'm remembering my dates correct. But Shoes really embraces Ruby in particular and uses blocks. And uh, it's just, it's super easy to actually code in. And so Hackity is the largest Shoes application. Um, so I'm sort of, I'm on the core Shoes team um, as well. We have five or six people that work on Shoes um, because I am the, the largest user of Shoes, you know, at the same time. But there's tons of other other applications that are like little little tiny gaming things, essentially. So what Shoes use under the hood to, to do the rendering? And uh, face value, it looks a lot like Tickle TK. Yeah, so r- right now, it depends on what platform you're running. So if you're, uh, Shoes 3 is the latest release. If you're If you're using that, then you've got, uh, actually native OSX uh, widgets for uh, you know Mac OS 10 I guess I should say I have a bad habit of saying OSX instead of OS 10 um, it uses GTK on uh, Linux and it uses the native Windows stuff and I think it, it might even use a little bit of GTK stuff on, on Windows too I'm not 100% sure because I don't do the Windows stuff I handle the Mac things mostly um, but so it's mostly native right now um, but it does use Cairo and Pango um, and so it has its own sort of widgets drawn um, as well. It doesn't always use the native ones. But we're looking at Shoes 4 to be all in Ruby. And so um, what it's looking like, it's shaping up to be, we sort of all got together and tried a couple of different approaches. And it looks like Shoes 4 is going to be uh, GTK with the native Ruby bindings on Windows and Linux. And either I'm going to get GTK to work properly on the Mac without needing X11 or I'm just going to do a MacRuby port for the Ruby side, and it'll be in MacRuby. Um, so it'll be one of those two things, but it'll be in all Ruby in the future. Um, so. Well, you're feeling my segue. That was going to be my next question. How does this fit in with MacRuby? Yeah, so the other nice thing about MacRuby is that Shoes built uh, a packager uh, system that sort of kind of works most of the time. <laughs> um, it's sort of this ultimate black magic. Um, one time Y said that he really truly only learned about Ruby once he started working on, on shoes and digging down into the C code. Um, so basically the, the shoes has the ability to package up your application to be able to, to run. You can, you can package up an exe or a dot app or, um, on Linux it uses this weird dot run file sort of format, but Mac Ruby has that built in for the Mac already. So it'll be nice not to have to replicate that, um, we're not really 100% sure what we're going to do with the pure Ruby shoes to make that happen, but uh, you know, I'm working on it. Um, there's been some interesting bundler developments actually to sort of make gems be self-contained, and so I'm looking into possibly you know seeing if that can help um, with some other things. But it's it's pretty crazy C code at the moment, so you know. So Hackney Hack uses shoes, but what else uses shoes? Uh, I don't think that there's any other big giant applications that you would necessarily be directly familiar with that use shoes. Um, if you go to uh, the shoebox, actually, which is the-shoebox.org, that's a little website that uh, is sort of almost like a mini GitHub for shoes. Um, it's actually still, um, you know, it, it's up and running. It's the guy who uh, 
wrote CoffeeScript actually um, is currently uh, hosting this, but he, he and I have been talking and we're trying to work it back into the, the main project in general. But it's got a ton of little tiny apps that people have written um, that are really cool. You see like a Go implementation there and somebody made an IM client and all sorts of other things. Uh, I really liked uh, NumbaCrunches is this number munchers clone that I used to play on the Mac when I was in you know eighth grade or something. Um, and so that was tons of fun, but there's, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of little stuff like that. There aren't any like big, giant, well-known applications. Um, Hackity is definitely the largest. So, so with Hackity Hack becoming uh, 1.0 officially, I guess last week, um, and also getting posted to Lifehacker, the unofficial Apple weblog and, um, a bunch of other things, it's got to certainly raise the profile for shoes at this point, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's that's my goal. Although I apparently have a lot of work to do because uh, apparently most of the Windows development was done on XP, and so uh, there's some things with Windows Vista and Windows Seven that I'm uh, fixing some bugs that people uh, uncovered. Is this the classic software? It works for me perfectly fine, and then you hand it out to. Uh, I actually had twelve thousand people download Hackity Hack um, in the last four days. And so uh, I got a lot of good, uh, a lot of good feedback. Uh, uh, everybody seems to really like it, um, but there's been some crashes that I'm going to be taking care of now that I have a little bit, you know, broad, a little bit of a broader um, installed base of people. So, so how did Heroku handle that traffic? It it was a champ. Basically, uh, I'm I'm only ever on the free plan for it. Uh, I'm using Sinatra and Mongo Mapper, and so. Um, we got 50,000 uniques and 100,000 uh, hits roughly. Uh, last time I checked the numbers a little bit earlier today. And um, whenever I got on Lifehacker, I added an extra dyno, but it didn't even need it. Um, it totally was was awesome. Um, part of this is because the homepage is mostly static. So, uh, you know, the varnish caching that they have set up on Heroku was super awesome. But yeah, I never expected to be able to sustain a Lifehacker, you know, front page and the unofficial Apple weblog too. So both of them basically at the same time, I did, I paid like 15 cents or something because I turned on a dyno for a little while. That's awesome. We're big fans of varnish. It's amazing what a little upfront HTTP caching can do for your application. We need to get those guys on the show. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, they're super great. The guy, the main guy who wrote it, I know, writes all these crazy papers about the system stuff that he does. Um, my two, two of my better friends are uh, operating system PhD candidates, and so uh, we talk about that stuff all the time. And that guy's a really good systems guy. So, so the point of Hackity Hack is to learn programming. What makes Ruby such a great tool for that? Well, um, so I wrote the I wrote up something about this actually on the blog a couple weeks ago, and basically what it boils down to is that Ruby is ultimately very uh, forgiving. Um, it's very uh, well supported by the com- by the community in general. Um, so I guess I should should back up slightly. So in the intro to programming class at my university, we use Java. And uh, while, you know, Java has its strengths in certain areas, um, as far as the beginning programming goes, everybody knows the uh, class, main class, public static void, main string, uh, array, args, uh, stuff that gets involved with writing your first program. And so if you're teaching somebody intro to programming with something that's a little more static, uh, like Java is, you have to sort of present it as all of these things are magic. Don't worry about the details. This is just hello world. And so you, you really have to like gloss over this large body of information before and you sort of are presenting it in that way that like software is something magical and the computer does these crazy things. And you, you're sort of playing with it, but you're not really like 
Um, and it's encouraging that sort of mindset from the, the get-go. So with, with Ruby or with Python or Perl or any of the other scripting languages, Hello World is just puts Hello World. And so you start off with, you know, it executes stuff in order and, uh, you know, everything is very simple. And so while there is some stuff going on under the hood, you don't have to uh, explain it right away. And I think that's really valuable for, uh, for beginners because a lot of people get sort of hung up on that early syntax. And, and once you start getting in that mindset that you don't actually – you're not in control of the machine. The machine is controlling you and you're sort of playing around with it. You're on the wrong footing. You know, like software is all about us building things. Um, so you know, that's, that's one of the reasons I feel really strongly about Ruby. Um, the other reason is that the syntax is, is really uh, nice and expressive. So um, I just think that in general, dynamic languages are much better for learning than static languages are. Because uh, even if they have, you know, some small runtime issues as opposed to compile time issues, I find that beginners are confused by C compilers' uh, error messages anyway. So it doesn't really help uh, as much as you would think it was. Even though it says there's an error, they're, they're, you know, they don't know what it means. I guess this is a Y project previous to, to being a Steve project, but um, Y wrote, wrote this book called Why um, the Pointed Guide to Ruby. So I wonder if there's anything mm-hmm. that like, actually stems from that book that has fallen into the learning patterns of Hackity Hack. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily directly. Uh, it's, it's true. So one of the things that it took me this long to come out with a 1.0 was because the, for the first couple of months, I was uber sensitive about the fact that I am not Y. You know, like it's, it's really, really hard. It's sort of like, uh, I don't know whoever it was, but whoever was the point guard of the, the Chicago Bulls right after Jordan retired, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, there's like really big shoes to fill and people have really big expectations of you. And so, uh, it's also difficult because I, I really loved Wise style and I thought that it was great, but it's also not my style. So I need to, to keep the project respecting sort of his original way of doing things, but make it my own at the same time. So I really had lots of problems uh, initially sort of grappling with those kinds of awkward identity issues where, you know, am I just going to totally screw up Y's greatest, you know, masterpiece? Uh, and, you know, so once I finally got over myself and just started actually writing code, everything worked out. But, um, you know, that's – there's not anything, anything necessarily directly from the pointed guide because I'm trying to sort of uh, – I don't want I don't want Y to go away. Uh, I obviously wish that he was still here. But um, – running around saying why, 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 and crying about it is not going to let the community move forward. And so I'd like to, to rather than try to use more and more of what Wise earlier works did, I would rather be inspired by them and make new stuff that's equally as awesome. So no chunky bacon. Yeah, I try, uh, I try to, to leave some of that stuff uh, in there, you know, but um, I'm trying to gradually sort of, uh, as the grieving process moves along, you know, it's been a, it's been a while. So it gets, it gets easier and easier as time goes on to sort of take those things, uh, out. Well, I noticed the chunk five font on the website. Is that a, a tribute to chunky bacon? Yeah, yeah, no, it's just that, uh, it just happened to be a nice one that I, that I, uh, like the look of. So if you're not sure what we're talking about, go check out wise poignant guide to Ruby. So up on GitHub, Hackity Hack is touting around 200 watchers now. So when you posted it last week to the change log, what kind of effect did it have to the watch status and fork status of, of Hackity Hack? Uh, I, you know, it's funny. Every time I, I post something in the change log, I always tell myself, like, I, I want to look and see how many, cha- how many things that changes, um, but I never do. Uh, I'm a really big sucker for game mechanics, and those kind of numbers are, are something that I like intensely am, am all into. But I, I think that I added about 70 or 80 watchers, and probably 
probably 10 or 15 forks. Um, I definitely got some con- contributions from people that I'd never gotten before after, uh, after it was posted. So thanks to everybody who's now watching and, you know, the, the people who are, uh, contributing to it. Although I still am doing the vast majority of the work on, on Hackity itself. Um, but you know, we've, we've gotten some, some good, uh, some good patches in from people. So it's been, uh, it's been nice. That's what I got to raise the bar for it a little bit is you got 27 issues there now, but uh, that are mentioned there, but what kind of support are you getting from the community now in terms of actual pull requests and what kind of changes that come from not just you, but others? So I'm still not um, getting a lot of actual um, software support. So those 27 issues, a lot of them are actually shoes bugs that Hackity exposed. So they're sort of merged in. And uh, one of the things I want to do with the shoes issue tracker was we were keeping track of feature requests in the issues tracker, but now it looks like there's a million there's like 45 issues now because we have, you know, 15 or 20 of them are, are feature requests that people ask for. Um, so I want to sort of move those around. So sometimes those issues get a little conflated a little bit uh, where, you know, it's not really my fault so much as something that I'm doing that messes up shoes. But um, one of the things that I'm continually trying to do is lower the bar for contribution because I want Hackity to be the, the ideal uh, open source project. You know, if I'm going to be teaching people programming, I sort of have this, uh, you know, subtle... Uh, goal of getting them to contribute to open source as well. So you'll see the the, the website and the project in general um, will merge more and more towards trying to to get people to to share their code with each other and, and improve on each other's um, things. I definitely want to add the ability to fork people's projects on Hackyack and and those kind of things. Um, it's already happened one or two times on its own, and that made me really really super happy. Where someone posted their program and then somebody else said, "Hey, check this out! Like I made your thing, but I added uh, you know another screen to it or whatever." Um, so that was really exciting. But um, one of the big things that we're trying to address with the next version of Shoes is that Shoes is incredibly difficult to compile. Uh, it, it actually, uh, because Y was not necessarily known for commenting his code, and he was also known for lots of metaprogramming, and the fact that Shoes is a C and C++ and Objective-C and Ruby project, um, it's it's a bit intimidating sometimes if something goes wrong during the compilation step. So you don't actually need to compile shoes to work on Hackity Hack. You can just download shoes itself and open the RB files and make it work. But I think that I'm not doing a good job yet of, of letting people know that. And so I think that it's slightly uh, intimidating to some people um, because of that factor. So I'm continually trying to make it more and more easy to, to contribute um, because, you know, I would love to have people help me out. Um, but... You know that's that's kind of the thing is this this dual nature of the the project being two projects but one project kind of is you know a little intimidating for people that don't know what's going on. It certainly has to expose some of those dependency issues that we see in in Ruby apps and and, and whatnot. Yeah, and and because we also I don't want to make people install extra things. So what Shoes actually does is it compiles all of its dependencies and then wraps them all up inside of itself. So it's completely self-contained. And so there's been some issues sometimes with with those kinds of dependency issues too, where I've included the wrong versions of something or I've accidentally left one out, you know, and then it happens. So so for those listening out there that uh, are on different platforms other than what you develop on, what do you need uh, most help on? Uh, what would be great is somebody who really knows about Windows uh, 7 and Vista and their, their, uh, the ways that they were different from Windows XP. So we pretty much have um, Team Shoes essentially has three people, one on each platform that sort of um, manages and does most of the development on that particular platform. So um, the guy who does um, Windows development, his name is Ash, uh, AshBB uh, on Twitter. 
And he uses Windows XP primarily. And so a lot of the development was sort of done in that era too. I think that Y was developing on XP. So for instance, somebody let me know that I was installing certain things to a protected folder and that was causing crashes on some people's systems and not others. So I would really love somebody who knows more about Windows development to, uh, you know, to give me a hand. That would be really great. Um, because I come from the Linux and Mac world. And so all those tools are sort of foreign to me and I got my VM set up last night and I got everything to compile and working out. So, you know, I'm working on learning it, but you know, it's always good to have people who know what they're, uh, what they're talking about. So that would be the largest need for sure as somebody who knows windows stuff. Now, I know most of our contributors are way younger than, than Adam or me, but if you've started when you were seven, I'm guessing Ruby wasn't your first programming language. No, not at all. So how many languages do you speak? Uh, I've done serious projects in, I guess it's probably just easier rather than counting the numbers to go back through and think about it. So I started off using GW Basic, and then uh, I moved to C, and then C++, and then Perl and Java, and then I did a little bit of Python, but I found Ruby and I liked it better. So I've done more in Ruby, but I have done one or two projects in Python, including some robotics stuff. Uh, I have a love affair with Haskell, which I'm always trying to find more excuses to use, but I haven't really gotten around to yet. I've played around with various Lisps and Scheme. Um, I, I enjoy doing JavaScript stuff sometimes in the browser when it's not too tricky. Uh, sometimes it gets frustrating, but that's, uh, you know, a lot of fun. Um, I have several friends who are in, heavily involved in the D language programming community, uh, and so I've used D for a couple of things, although nothing super major, but, um, that operating system project that I was talking about earlier, my friends are doing PhD candidates are actually writing it in D, which is kind of cool. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of assembly languages every once in a while. And that's, I think that's it. I don't know. A lot of stuff. I love languages. So do you find it easier to pick up new languages after you get more under your belt? Yeah, I think that what it really takes is once once you get a dynamic language, like a scripting language, uh, Ruby, Python, Perl, you know, any of the three of those are something similar. And once you get a functional language and you get a no, more normal, like static imperative language, once you have those three under your belt, it becomes really easy to pick up almost anything else because most languages are pretty closely tied to those three different ideas. There's not a lot of ones outside of those kind of categorizations. So, uh, you know, but definitely... Um, Learning Haskell and functional programming was one part where I really felt like I got much better as a programmer, and it, it continues to improve my Ruby code to this day uh, whenever I do you know, functional sort of things that Ruby supports. So before we get to the, the infamous radar question, I have a, kind of an off-the-wall question for you. Okay. In, uh, in your, your bio and what we posted here to the changelog to kind of introduce you <laughs> to the audience, yes. um, there's, there's one piece that stands out a little bit, and it says that you're an anarchist. And yes. at the same time, you're also involved in open source and kind of creating this community. Does that kind of uh, become an oxymoron for you? And why, uh, why would you say that and be in open source? I, I think it's actually the exact opposite. So I... First of all, I, I call myself an anarchist because I've been I've been reading about anarchism for the last year or two, and so it took me a really long time to uh, to identify that way. But I'm pretty sure that I agree with most of that um, political theory now, so it feels the most the most correct to me. But basically, anarchism is fundamentally about empowering people to do the the things they want to do. It's about not being controlled by others and and doing. Uh, like empowering people that way. And it's about community. Like you can't, you can't have uh, a, 
a group of people um, work together effectively unless they know each other and they become friends. So anarchism gets a really bad rap because, uh, you know, it's uh, been sort of slandered by people over the years. But um, really, I think that I think that open source and specifically the Internet actually is a great example of how anarchism could theoretically work as as a way of governing people. Um, because of that, they're exactly that. They're distributed. No one's necessarily directly in charge. Um, and, you know, so that sort of relates into those things. But uh, that's why I identify that way. Um, anarchism is not, there's a sort of saying, like, anarchism is not no rules. It's no rulers. Um, it's about direct democracy. And so you can sort of think of it as libertarianism to a slightly even more um, extreme to the point where they don't like capitalism, essentially. So for the folks who don't really know Steve yet, and when they read that, it's like could have been a uh, a negative thing, I guess. But you just definitely clarified the yeah, that you're not a an evil co-conspirator of some sort of um, I don't know, like uh, <laughs> conspiracy theories and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things where uh, I wish there was a better word because people have sort of uh, taken it down uh, a notch by associating it with all sorts of you know other things uh, necessarily and. You know, this is a very complicated topic. I guess I'll just leave it at that. But it's not as simple as like, I'm a teenager and I hate my parents, so I don't want there to be any rules and the world would be awesome. That's that's really all I have to say. And if everybody has questions, you can email me about it and I'd be more than happy to, you know, talk about it in more depth. Nah, I'm sure you're a good guy. I mean, I was just I was just uh just kinda <laughs> yeah, curious yeah. about how that played into your role and then um just in, in general, I just thought I'd ask the question. But totally. uh, I guess it's about time that we ask the question of What's on your open source radar? So that's uh, there's lots of stuff out there in the open source world. It moves fast. Uh, we try our best to keep up. But what's out there in open source that's on your radar that you just have to go out and play with right now? So the biggest things, the two the two largest things that I want to play with more um, are evented programming. So that's why I posted that Coolio project a couple days ago. Um, I would love to do something with Node.js and or Event Machine or Coolio, but evented style web programming is something where I have very little experience, but it seems like it has a really good use case um, in certain times. And so that would be uh, definitely something that I would like to expand some more knowledge about, and it's getting kind of hot lately. Um, the other thing is that I've been using MongoDB a lot, and I really, really enjoy it. Um, and I would like to get familiar with some of the other NoSQL stores since they're not really similar to each other. It's sort of like learning different ones every time, you know? So. I think that uh, I think that learning more about the the details of Cassandra and um, like Ryak, uh, I've used Redis a teeny little bit, and um, uh, CouchDB are the other ones that I really want to try to uh, you know learn how to use those tools effectively because it's all about using the right tool for the job, right? So the more things you learn, the the more equipped you are to solve problems. So um, I guess those are the, the next big things that I'm sort of interested in uh, in learning about and the open source projects that are sort of popping up now that those things are getting popular. We've done a couple of shows now on uh, React, and we've covered uh, MongoDB on the show. I'd love to get uh, Redis on the change log. We'll have to keep uh, trying to nail down Antares to get, get him on the show, but uh, Cassandra would be another, another great episode. Yeah, they're all cool projects, and it's, it's interesting how similar and different they all are at the same time. We've also been asked to, to kind of rehash the whole NoSQL SmackDown, too. <laughs> you know, I have to host another one of those. <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for contributing to the change log, Steve, and uh, looking forward to the posts that you have forthcoming and uh, more about Hackity Hack. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun so far. And, uh, you know, you guys, I'm glad to, to be a part of this cool stuff that you guys are doing. I think that it's, it's uh, great to be able to find out about new projects. I'm always on the lookout. So it's good. <laughs>